You happy to be at church today? Amen. Yeah. Awesome. So glad that you're here. And uh, we are in part six of the Gospel of John. Can we, can we give it up for Pastor Mark? He just walked out, but he preached last Sunday. I love that we're at a church with people who are talented and blessed by God to do what he's called them to do. Amen? And so thank you, Mark, Pastor Mark, for doing that. And uh, we are, we're going to look at John 2. Um, and you're like, man, Pastor Landon, this is going to take a long time. That's okay, right? We're learning. Are you learning a lot in this series? I hope you're taking notes. Uh, if you have a way to take notes today, uh, or grab your phone. I know you aren't texting. I know you're not on Facebook. You're taking notes because you want to study this all later. Amen? If you're new with us today, I'm Pastor Landon. I get to be the pastor here, and uh, it's a blessing. So uh, glad you're here. But I want to set the stage a little bit for what we're about to read and what we're about to talk about. Jesus and his disciples went to all of these Jewish festivals. And in this uh, particular uh, few verses that we're going to talk about today, they're going to Passover. Um, and if you know what Passover is, it's this an amazing event in Exodus where Moses comes and God's like, hey, take my people and get out of, get out of there. And so um, this, at this moment, all of these plagues came over the Egyptians because they wouldn't let God's people go. Remember? Let my people go. You remember that one? And finally, this Passover happened. This was the final one where the firstborn of every child would be taken unless they put, unless they uh, sacrificed and put blood over their doorposts and a few other things. And finally, Pharaoh broke and said, okay. And even when they were leaving, he's like, oh, never mind. And they go after them again, and um, it wasn't good for them uh, in the Red Sea. But so this is the celebration. Okay, well, that'll work for today. Um, this is the celebration of the Passover of the Jews getting out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And so we're, I'm going to read this for you today, and this holiday is commemorating this. And, and here's what happens. John 2, verse 13 to 17, it says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, everybody say temple courts. You're going to want to remember this for later. He found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, everybody say money changers, and overturned their tables, right? You may see these old paintings, and Jesus is just there just like doing his thing. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal from your house will consume 
me. And I want to add one verse to this from Mark. And some people think these were two separate situations because in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this happens very close to the cross. So today, I'm just going to tell you, we're not quite sure if these are the same situations or two separate. If they are two separate, they're very, very, very similar. Just John's is at the very first of the gospel. Mark eleven seventeen 17, he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you speak to us through it. I pray that you uh, bless your word as it goes out, that it wouldn't turn uh, away void, Lord, that, that, it would, um, that it would grow into something special in our lives, in our hearts, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I normally don't apologize on Sundays, but just so you know, I traveled all day yesterday, so I might be a little slow. Is that okay? Let's walk through this together. Okay, good, good. Church, guess what? Jesus got angry. You, you just saw, you just heard what I read, right? He got mad. Have you ever been mad before? Anybody? There's three of you. This is awesome. The rest of you are my best friends. Have you ever gotten angry? We've all been angry before. Have you ever done something wrong with your anger? Do you guess what? Jesus has been angry before, but has never sinned in his anger. That's something none of us can say, right? You're like, why would Jesus show up at the temple and start flipping tables and throwing chairs? By the way, I threw a chair like six months ago. If you go back, I forget what sermon it is. I threw a chair off the stage. I think it got, I got my point across. But this may come to a surprise to us that the one who healed the blind man, fed the 5,000, brought Lazarus back from the dead, was kind to the woman at the well, was kind to the woman caught in the very act, the Bible says, of adultery, is the same Jesus who flipped some tables and said, made a whip and got them out of there. I don't think he hit him with the whip, but he's like, come on, Right? may have been even a Polk County whip. You never know. Saying that Jesus was angry is an interesting thing. There's three types, and we could probably go and add a whole bunch more, but I'm going to talk about three types of anger. These aren't the points. But there's three types of anger, and the first two we shouldn't do. The first one is like rage. We slam the door. We hang up the phone. We yell. We curse. We cuss. Those, that is um, the first one. That's, and I'm sure we've all been part of those. We've seen it. We've done it. We might do that again. The second one, repressed anger. Everybody say repressed. We keep it inside and then finally, and someone could say something nice and we just blow a gasket. Right? Because we all have different personalities, right? Some of you hold it inside until you can't take it anymore. 
And then there's a third one. And I'm going to call this one righteous anger. And to some of us who are like, righteous and anger, how does that go together? But you know what? I bet you any money, all of you have had righteous anger before too. Where you're mad about something, angry about something. Let's say when someone innocent is being hurt. Right? Like, oh, I can't stand that. Someone at school getting bullied. And you're looking over like, I'm going to do something about this. And Jesus, in this moment, has this moment of righteous anger. Because guess what? His temple would be a place of prayer, not a market. And that's the same thing that you have sometimes, injustice in the world. Have you ever seen or experienced an injustice and you're like, I don't like this? And then sometimes we think we have righteous anger, and it's just in traffic, right? Or it's, or it's political, right? Like, oh, I can't believe that they voted for that. So I want to share a couple ideas with you today. And the first one is this. Jesus is angry for a purpose, if you want to write it down. Jesus is angry for a purpose, you know that the temple was there for a purpose. You know that this church is here for a purpose. Did you know that you are here for a purpose? Amen? And so Jesus didn't just go off and lose his cool. He didn't just get angry. It was for a purpose. All four Gospels took note of this situation. Right? Jesus wasn't like later like, hey, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, come over here real quick. Don't add that. They're not going to be able to handle this. No, it's in there. It's in there on purpose for a purpose. You're here on purpose for a purpose. This building, this place. And it would be a house of prayer for all nations. And you know what was happening that he was so angry about was people were distracting from the main purpose of that place, to be a house of, per, of prayer, not a market, not a, he said, a den of thieves. And Jesus knocked over the tables and the chairs and stopped everyone from using it as such a place. So can I show you the temple? I want to show you kind of what this place looked like so you can have an idea. So this was a major place. Okay? At this time, it said that sometimes almost about 200 or sorry, 2 million people would show up at some uh, Passovers to Jerusalem. You'd have Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles, just everyone else, okay? So guess what? Most of you are Gentiles. So you, they would just show up. And you see where the blue star is? Everybody sees it. They called that place... The temple courts. They also called it the courts of the Gentiles. So guess what? The, the Gentiles could only go so far because they weren't Jews. And so that whole courtyard, the whole thing that surrounded the temple was the temple courts. The gentle, the Gentile courts. That's where they could show up. And guess what they could do there? 
they could pray. They could experience God. So imagine that situation. It's hustle and bustle. It's like Christmas time at the mall. I'm trying to think of what mall because they're kind of slowly going quiet. This is Christmas time on Amazon.com, okay? During Passover, all of these people would show up. They would, they would make a pilgrimage every year. It's not like everybody just lived in Jerusalem. All right, it's Passover. Let's head on over to Frostbite. For, you know, they would travel for days and days and maybe even a month or two just to go to the Passover, to celebrate. And then there was Gentiles who were like, I kind of want to know about this, this God thing. And so if you've read enough of the Gospels, you will know that Jesus loves every single person. And you will recognize that even to the lowliest of the low, Jesus wants them to be part of the kingdom. That is why he came. Notice he says all nations, which just means from every background, every tribe and tongue. Even us Americans, right? Even the Canadians are allowed. Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, everybody. Afghanis, all of them, everybody, right? So Jesus shows up and he sees that there's all these people trying to pray. There's all these people trying to figure out who God is. And they've messed up the whole courtyard. And he righteously loses it. I could, you could kind of picture it, right? And there's this big distraction so imagine you come into church today, right? It's pretty quiet in here, right? You're listening to the word and just someone comes in and starts yelling or someone comes in and starts trying to sell you something. Yeah, get your hot dog here. Peanuts. Cracker Jacks. I don't know. And then here's the problem though. It wasn't this they were selling or exchanging money and I'm going to get to this in a minute, but it was like inflated to the max. Like inflation rate was even worse than today when you go get your gas after church. And you know what's amazing? I've been part of a lot of churches. And to me, this is the first church I've been at that there's not a ton of distractions. Because one, there could be distractions like that. But two, there could be distractions of people just complaining. Have you been to a church like that? Just It's just constant. It's like... I, I do not, just so you know, I don't want to be part of a church like that. They complain, oh, the, the, this is a problem. This thing's an issue. The carpet. The, oh, we don't like the carpet color, or the candle color is not right. Or the pastor, he just looks different. And they start arguing about all of these things, and guess what happens in churches all over America? People come in and they want to experience Jesus. 
But the people that are already there, who already know Jesus, are the distraction. You're like, oh, Lord, check my heart. (laughs) I don't want to be a distraction. I want to elevate people so they can meet Jesus. And that's what I want New Hope to be like, is that people can come in and experience the Lord where Jesus, if he showed up today, he wouldn't be flipping over tables. He'd say, okay, I'll, this is great. And you know what? The enemy of the church, the devil, guess what? He loves us to be distracted, right? We're distracted all the time. We've got this. We've got so many distractions, like jobs and stuff. Just kidding about that one. But the enemy wants a distracted church. The enemy was hoping that the people coming in, the Gentiles, would be distracted and not get to pray. All right, number two. Everybody say two. Jesus flipped the tables over evil intentions. So that you had these religious leaders there. And I'm going to explain a little bit more in a little bit. But they were intentionally selling what needed to be sacrificed there. It was like a monopoly on the animals that they needed. And when they got inside, it was kind of like going to like the movies. That's the only popcorn I can buy. It's $10. But it smells awesome. So I best I better buy it. Oh, the soda, ten bucks again. It cost them how much? Twenty-five cents. Inflation. And Jesus was mad. You know that Jesus is mad about inflation too, just like you. You know that? Can I tell you a couple things? This is from September of this year. Here's what things were inflated to. Food at work or school, 91%. Airfare, 42%. Utilities, 33%. Butter and margarine, okay, 32%. Eggs, 30%. Health insurance, 28%. Public transportation, 27%. Energy, 19%. Gas, 18%. I don't don't agree. That was way more. Um, Milk. 15, and it goes on. Everything's inflated, and it's annoying, right? So imagine that these people once a year, the reason why they're coming to the temple, the Jews are coming, is to make a sacrifice. Aren't you glad we don't have to make an animal sacrifice now? Jesus paid the ultimate cost, ultimate price on the cross. Amen? But imagine, every year they had to come at Passover and make this animal sacrifice. Then the Jewish men had to pay a temple tax. Everybody say temple tax really fast. That was good. They had to pay a temple tax. And typically it was about two days wage for the year. So take two days of your wage, and every time you came for Passover, you had to do that. Well, guess what? The temple only accepted temple money. So they would show up with, you know, whatever it was. And when they came in, they'd have to exchange their money to temple tax. And guess what? They inflated it by 20 times. 
They didn't need to do that, but they're like, hey, this is our one time a year. Let's, let's hike the price up. Let's be like the airport yesterday. When I went in, they made me throw out my daughter's water because I'm going to put random stuff in my 18-month-old. So guess what I had to do? I had to go get a water at the only place that I was allowed to get water. Guess how much it was? $4. And I told the lady about it. I, I told her. I told her about it. I it was nice, though. She laughed. So it wasn't one of those things. But that's all they, it's the same idea. The only place that they could do that, they couldn't leave and go get the temple money. They had to exchange it right there, and they would hike the price up 20 times more expensive. They did this all. Oh, do we have the temple up there? I'm sorry. I thought it was still up there. They did that all in that courtyard. And that looks small from here, but that was a massive place. There, there was thousands and thousands of people there and many booths. Like, okay, what are you guys inflating your stuff at 20, 20 times? What are you guys? And so maybe they'd walk around and try to find it. And it was a big mess. And it is not what God had intended for the temple. Remember, he intended it to be a house of prayer for all nations. Taking advantage of people is wrong. Taking advantage of people in the temple is wrong times a hundred. But taking advantage of God's temple to help their self was even more wrong. And so that's when you see Jesus start to flip the tables, get them out of there, and change it. Okay, the, the third one. Everybody say three. Jesus knocked over the chairs for everyone. I like this. So even then, 2,000 years ago, you know that Jesus was doing this so that we could see how important the temple was? And guess what? A lot of times still, I think people think that this location is the temple, right? Because we've read the Old Testament, we've read part of the New Testament. But later in the New Testament, guess what, church? This building, this facility is just a building and it's just a facility. If you call yourself a Christian, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are now the temple. God is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. And so think about that in this context. Look, 700 years before this, this moment, look, Isaiah 56, 7. I will bring them to, the holy, to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So you see here, Jesus is quoting 
Isaiah from 700 years before this. For all nations, imagine all of these people from all different backgrounds, all different tribes, all different tongues are there to experience the Lord. People coming in from all different states right now, amen? Any, any New Yorkers in the house? You're like, I don't want to say. Anybody from California? <laughs> yes, Johnny. Kentucky, anybody from Kentucky? Hey, Ohio. Awesome. Indiana, anybody? Any pacers out there? Okay. So, people from all over were going there to experience the Lord, and then they show up, and it's a market. They could have done that anywhere else. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't care at that moment. And you'll notice this all throughout the Gospels is that it's, it's okay to make a scene because he's changing the world, right? So it's like you're trying to save somebody, and it doesn't matter what. Imagine you see, like, a burning building, and you don't care what you look like running in and out of that burning building. You're just going to go in there and do and try to save as many people as you can save. And Jesus sees all the, these innocent people getting sucked into all of these schemes with the money changers and everything that was inflated, he's like, not in my house. And just a side note, I think we have to be like that as parents and grandparents, don't we? Right? I remember um, we don't have commercials at our house. So when we went to Canada, there was commercials, like on the TV. Like we don't, I guess we don't do the normal TV anymore? Anybody not do the normal TV anymore and no commercials? It's weird when you see commercials. I'm like, that's gross, or why did they have to do that? You know, and we'll just turn it off. And you get mad about it. You're like, why is, why are they, what are they trying to do with our kids? In church, I think you've got to get some righteous anger in you and say, well, we're not going to, we're not going to be able to watch that channel anymore. You know, because look what it's doing with our kids. We're not going to, we're probably not going to be able to use that app anymore because look what it's doing. And guess what, church? That's okay. God gave you those kids and he wants you to take care of them. And if you've got to be a little extreme about it and flip a couple tables over, that's okay. Amen. And it'll probably save you some money too, just so you know. You could probably get them a big, bigger Christmas present. But I think we have to get some of that righteous anger in us and say, no, not in my house, not with my daughter, not with my son, not today. And guess what? He made a declaration, right? 
You know, there was a declaration back in 1776, right? America said, we are free. We are no longer under King George. Bye-bye. And it was some work, wasn't it? A big declaration. Jesus makes an even bolder declaration here. Look at this. Mark eleven seventeen, He said to them, the scripture declares. Look, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you've turned it into a den of thieves. I'm going to finish up here with this. Church, that was a physical location. Now, after the cross, Jesus is with all of us. We are the temple. What are you making your temple? Is it a house of prayer? Or is it a place where Jesus would come in and be like, oh, no, we've got to flip some tables. We've got to get rid of some stuff in your life. You've got to change some things in your heart and in your mind. Because just as passionate as Jesus was about the temple in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, he's just as passionate about you who is now the temple. So what sacrifice do you need to make? What do you need to change today? What do you need to say bye-bye to? What have you been doing that Jesus might not like? And I'm going to leave that up to you and the Holy Spirit to decide. In the uproar of buying and selling and bargaining and auctioneering, prayer was impossible in that location. Those who sought God's presence were being prohibited from it and from the people of God's house. So one question today is, are you making your temple a house of prayer? Two, are you making this space a distraction? Are we making this place a distraction when someone comes in? Or is it a place that will honor the Lord? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Imagine back then they had to build these giant it took them 46 years to build this temple. And now you get to be his temple where God dwells in you. So I think for some of us, it's time for a change, isn't it? It's time to allow God to speak to us and say, what a, is my place, is my house, is my temple a place of prayer? that honors the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6. Let's stand today. We're going to go. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. 
And this is a great time to reflect on who we are and what we're for and what we're doing in this season. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let that be a challenge to us this week. Man, some of us, me, I drink way too much Coke. Some of us, it might, who knows what it is for you. But we need to honor God with our bodies because we were bought at a price. Amen? We need to honor our temple and say, this, this house right here, this house will be called a place of prayer. Amen? Lord, thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness today. Lord, thank you that we get to open up your word. Lord, I know even down a little bit later, they start asking you about the temple, and then you turn over to saying that destroy this temple, and he'll rebuild it in three days, and you're talking about you. And Lord, that you went to the grave and rose again three days later. And now we have hope and freedom because of what you did on the cross. And now we have the availability that we can be the temple of the Holy Spirit. That you can dwell in us. And so Lord, I pray that today if there's, if there's anyone in here that doesn't yet know you, hasn't yet asked you to, to lead their life, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation in them. The Lord, that they would follow you. That they would... Um, have hope in you today. In Jesus' name. And the church said, and we celebrated. Come on, church, we celebrated today.